I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we are joined by Adam Van Zee, who is a former coach at Earlham College in Indiana. Earlham is a small D3 school, and Adam is going to be talking with us this week about the benefits of playing at a Division three school, what it can offer to prospective student athletes, and how the recruiting process looks when you are pursuing a spot at a Division three university. It's really interesting to hear him talk about his experiences, both as a player at the D3 level and as a coach, and now writing and, and really developing his expertise around Division three tennis. And I hope that all of you will really pay attention to what he has to say and seriously consider looking at some of these Division three schools. These programs not only have great tennis, but also are so strong academically. And Adam is going to dispel some of the myths around playing at the Division three level. For a closer look at Division Three Tennis, I urge you to visit Adam's website, and that is Division3Tennis.com. It's Division, the number three, Tennis.com. And all of the links and contact information for Adam Van Zee and the Division Three Tennis website will be included in the show notes, so be sure and check that out. Enjoy this week's episode. I'll be quiet now, and here is Adam Van Zee when we return. Tennisballs.com is your one-stop shop for all the latest tennis news, stories, and photos from around the world. Their talented writers share insights from the Pro Tour, the latest tennis technology, and behind-the-scenes looks at your favorite tennis tournaments and events. Check out Tennisballs.com. That's 10sballs.com. I'm so glad you decided to tune back into the Parenting Aces podcast this week. We have Adam Van Zee with us, and Adam works with the D3 uh, recruiting group. They have a website. Uh, they have a recruiting hub now, and Adam comes from the Division Three coaching world in Indiana at Earlham College, but he is now blogging and podcasting and doing all sorts of stuff around Division Three tennis. So Adam, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to jump into a conversation about Division Three tennis with you today. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, for having me. And uh, so my experience with D three has been nothing but positive, and and you know I, I enjoy the the opportunity to uh, share that uh, knowledge. Absolutely. So let's start by having you tell our listeners a little bit about your coaching experience at the D3 level. Yeah, I mean, so not only was I a coach, I also played uh, at Division three level. So I was uh, a graduate to Wabash College, which is also in Indiana. Um, so that experience sort of guided me into coaching. Uh, between I, the, the years between my playing days and, and my coaching days, I went and got a master's in sports psychology. Uh, so to doing that, and then I, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to get a Division three head coaching job at age 24, which is you know pretty young. Uh, so I, I don't think I quite knew what I was getting into, but uh, it was a, a process of learning and, and, and whatnot. And you know, Earlham at the time was not a very a strong tennis program, so I, I kind of had a blank slate uh, to start from. But using my Division three background and playing, and you know, my love for what Division three represents. I was able to uh, pretty quickly, you know, form a, a very successful men's program, and you know, it, it's it's strictly b- behind the, the thought of recruiting the right student athletes, and and you know, figuring out what the right student athlete for that particular school is is what's most important. Uh, you know, obviously, you're going to always try to get the most talented ones, but at the same time, just because they're the most talented doesn't mean they're going to fit at the school. Um, so, you know, Division Three offers a lot of different opportunities, uh, you know, across the schools, depending on what the, the particular student-athlete is interested in after uh, college. So so I, I really enjoyed being a part of the process uh, with, you know, student-athletes when I had them and then obviously recruiting and then and after they were to leave. So, uh, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I miss it at times. Uh, and I'm no longer uh, in the coaching world, but but I'm – 
fortunate enough to uh, to have my hand in Division Three a little bit with uh, with the blog that we run. Absolutely. So there are tons of misconceptions about Division Three, and I I really would love to take this next hour or so for you to address some of those misconceptions and explain to the Parenting Aces audience, which is mostly made up of tennis parents, of you know, junior players, explain to us why we need to be looking more closely at Division Three for our kids as they're approaching their college recruiting years. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the two biggest misconceptions, one by parents and one by the student-athletes, are the one by parents is money. Uh, you know, the they, a lot of times they see these private, you know, liberal arts or research universities have price tags in excess of $50,000. And, you know, from the, the, the initial view, that seems like, oh, my gosh, that is a lot of money, and it is. Uh, but, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions is that there is no financial aid available. And, that, you know, that's completely wrong. Uh, you know, most of these schools have competitively uh, packaged with academic scholarships, with grants, um, and obviously there's some government aid as well. So I think that's on the parent side of things that, you know, if you see this price tag that's, you know, seems outrageous, you know, and a lot of times it is, you know, where I was at at Earlham, I think 94% of students received financial aid. And I, at the time when I was there, I think the, the sticker price is around 49000 But the average student was paying, I think, twenty one, twenty two in the state of Indiana, a, 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 a normal tuition for a state school, I think, was 19. So you're only paying a, you know, a little bit more and likely getting into a, a better school with some better options. Um, the misconception on the student-athlete side, uh, particularly, and this isn't necessarily true across all sports, but in tennis is you know, the level of play isn't that far off for Division One, And, you know, that seems crazy to think about, but because tennis is such a academically focused prospect, the, the, the level of players that are tracked to Division Three are pretty darn good. Uh, you know, it, the best way to, to give an example of this is, you know, we've got programs with multiple five-star athletes uh, based off tennisrecruiting.net's uh, uh, ranking system that aren't even in the starting lineup at some schools. And, you know, we've got Division Three teams that are not only challenging but beating top 75 Division One programs you know, on a, on a yearly basis. So I think that misconception that, you know, oh, if I go to Division Three, I'm not going to be playing the same level of, of competition that I would uh, at other, you know, at Division One institutions is completely wrong. Uh, and, again, I think it's it's just part of what tennis breeds in terms of, of the, the type of player that, that is interested uh, in playing that it happens. Like, you know, very rarely are you going to see, you know, let's just say if there's a five-star basketball player, basketball player is not going to go to a Division three school. It just doesn't happen. But in tennis, because of the, the academic reputation that these schools have and the interest of, of, of that by the student-athletes and their families, the level of tennis is extremely high and is continually to, to get higher as uh, you know the years go on. I think the boom has probably happened in the last 10 to 15 years where you know five-star athletes, we, we used to get one or two a year that, that – you know, attract Division Three, but now I think right now there's eight or nine, maybe even ten that are committed to a program this year. So that's the biggest misconception on the uh, student athlete side is, is I've got to go D1 because I want to play the you know the top competition uh, you know day in and day out. Interesting. Well, I mean, I I was doing a little research on the NCAA website and and found out that Division Three is actually the largest of the NCAA divisions. There are 450 member schools, and I had no idea it was that big. And the other thing that I thought was so interesting is that out of the uh, student athletes at Division three schools, 82% of them have some sort of financial aid, uh, whether it's a grant or scholarship. And just as a, a basis of comparison, 56% of Division one students have some sort of financial aid. So it's 82% at Division three, 
61% at Division II and 56% at Division I. So it, it truly is a misconception on the part of us parents that there's not money available. And, and also just to clarify, the NCAA states that Division III cannot offer athletic scholarships. And so I think we hear that and think that means there's no money available to our kids. You're absolutely right. And like I said, I think that the, the biggest thing is, is because these are top schools, tennis typically breeds some uh, you know, top students. They're going to competitively try to attract those top students to their top schools. So uh, you know, you've got a, a $20,000 academic scholarship because that school wants that person because their academic re- uh, resume is that impressive. So it's just a little bit different of a competition in terms of trying to get, attract a student Whereas Division One is trying to attract a student because of their tennis abilities, Division Three is trying to attract a student because of their academic abilities. Yeah, and that's that's a big distinction. And and I wonder, um, you know, one of the debates that happens quite often on, especially my Facebook page, the Parenting Aces Facebook page, is this whole notion of. Uh, keeping your child in traditional school versus doing virtual school or homeschool. And, you know, there's, there are people that come down hard on both sides of, of the argument. Um, as a coach or former coach, what is your thought on that and how does it impact recruiting for division three? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think because tennis is a little bit different, uh, it's a little bit easier to, you know, it, it, while it's a, a team sport in college, it's still very individual. Um, so I think on the tennis side of things, it, it's, you know, the homeschooled or, you know, the virtual school student is still going to be playing in tournaments where I can, you know, actively see uh, results. Uh, in terms of, you know, where they may thrive as a student uh, after their, their, you know, high school education, you know, I think homeschool students or virtual students would have a lot of success at a smaller school. You know, whereas if you send that student to a you know big Division One university, you know, they 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 all of a sudden become a very very small fish in a very very large pond. Um, so, I think tennis it's it's unique in a lot of ways, uh, but I think Division Three for particularly for homeschooled students is a very good option because it wouldn't be quite the overwhelming. I'm going to go from being the only student to such a large you know pool of students. Mhm. Yeah, that makes sense. And in terms of academics, I mean, are are you hearing that these students are are performing well academically? Well, I, I think it's very similar in terms of you know if you if you have a student that's homeschooled, they're and then they go to a, let's just say a big university. You know, their first year of classes, they're probably going to be sitting in a lot of you know freshman classes with hundreds of students sitting in the same same class. Whereas they go to Division three school or a, you know, a small liberal arts or even research university, they're going to sit, their biggest class is probably going to be, you know, 40 students, and that's on the high end. So they're going to be able to be engaged a lot more with, with their classmates. Um, you know, they're forced into participating. And in terms of development of the student and development of, you know, who they are as a person, that can go a long, you know, a long way. You know, I, I, I'll use myself for, as an example. You know, I went to a, a small liberal arts school, and, you know, even after my first semester, I remember talking to a uh, close family friend and they, they looked at me and they said, you know, you, you're different. I said, what do you mean I'm different? I'm the same person. And they said, you just sound different. You're, you're, you seem more confident. You seem more, you know, engaging in a lot of ways. I said, oh, you know, I haven't really done anything different. But so even one semester uh, in that environment, I, I really started to thrive as, as a person. Interesting. One of the, the, I guess, and I'm using air quotes and my listeners know I talk with my hands a lot, which is (laughs) not good for podcasting, but oh well. Um, So, so another one of the issues is, um, is the, if you want to have any chance of turning pro as a tennis player that you have to go to division one, you have to go to one of the power five conference schools. And I've had Eric Buderak on my podcast and, okay. you know, one of the <laughs> you, things my that, best that <laughs> well, he is. And, and, and I, I wanted to get your perspective on that because 
one of the things that's so unique about Eric is he did go to a Division three school, and he wound up having a phenomenal career as a professional tennis player, mainly in doubles, but, you know, and he's still just intimately involved in the sport at the highest levels. And I'd love to hear your take on Eric's experience and then any other student athletes that you may have come across who maybe started in Division One and wound up transferring to a Division Three school and had similar successes. Yeah, I mean, obviously Eric is, is the prime example. I mean, he started Division One. He played at, uh, at a, a MAC school at Ball State for a year um, and then transferred to a Division Three school. And I, I don't remember when he published an article. It was It was basically, you know, it was sort of a, right coach, right program, just wrong yep. school type type article. And, you know, he didn't have necessarily a bad experience there. He just wasn't the right fit for him. So, you know, moving into Division Three, and, and even when he moved to Division he didn't necessarily dominate right away. Uh, you know, he, he was took some time to, to sort of get his feet on the ground and, and have the opportunity. So, you know, he's, he's, he's the poster child for it doesn't necessarily mean you can't go pro. Uh, and I think as Division Three. You know, since he was a player to now, the level has just exploded. And 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 again, that it's we've got these five star athletes that aren't even playing uh, on their team because it's just they're so loaded. So, you know, the the growth continues to happen. And you know, you look at some of these top schools in the country, or even you know, even in the world, you got Chicago's, the Amherst's. You know, they're attracting the better students and the better tennis players. They have the ability to. Uh, you know, go on and do other things. An example that's happening sort of right now is there's a, a female student athlete at at Westland, uh, Eudis Chong, who is currently she's a two time she's a junior this year. She's a two time defending national champion. Has has some Division three losses, but also is currently ranked in the ITF and WTA because she's from Hong Kong. She goes back for for breaks and she plays in professional tournaments and she's getting wins. Uh, so. It's showing that you know you would think a person at that level would just be dominating Division Three, and, and while she's got two national championships, she's also never gone undefeated throughout the years. So she's taking some losses. So she's getting the not only is she getting the education she wants, uh, you know, the experience that she wants as a as a college student athlete, but she's also training just as much to be successful at the pro level. Well, that's a great segue into my next question, which is. You know, another hot topic has been the proliferation of international players, uh, especially on the men's side, and yep. how, you know, at Division One there are only four and a half scholarships and how a lot of schools, you know, are giving the majority of that scholarship money to international players. What's happening in Division Three in terms of domestic versus international players on the rosters and in terms of scholarship and grant money yeah i mean it's it's still very very heavily domestic uh you know there are some schools that are more you know uh, i guess worldly is not the right word but have more of a pull for international students but it's still very very heavy uh you know there's specific schools that are very heavy in international but i would say that's and you know the less than five percent schools that have that uh I, I had both when I was a coach. Um, Earlham, that the place that I was at as a coach, was very international focused. They were very diversity focused, so they they had a very competitive scholarship package for international students. But that was a student wide initiative. Um, so I, when you know, I, I when I learned that, I my team was basically half and half. I had half internationals and half uh, domestic. But overall, Division Three is extremely domestic, with you know a few very, you know, programs that, that are very strong in international recruiting. But for the most part, domestic is – it's hard to sell somebody, you know, a, a small liberal arts school in the middle of Indiana compared to, you know, a big university that they can see on TV because most of these students internationally just want to come and play. They don't necessarily know what, what they're getting into school-wise. So if you've got a school in, say, Chicago or L.A., that's a pull because they know what that is. Uh, whereas if I start to talk about, you know, Earlham, which is in Richmond, Indiana, they have no clue. Um, so I, I think that international is, is, is one way to go, but it, it's, a, it's a tough road to go down because uh, 
the, the academic standards are pretty high at a lot of these schools. And, you know, if, if English is their second language, they've got more tests to pass and all that kind of stuff. Right. It's interesting. I was actually talking to an international player uh, this past week, and he was telling me that he had no idea where he was coming or any idea about the school he was coming to. I mean, he knew nothing. He knew nothing about the weather. He knew nothing about the academic reputation, the tennis reputation. He just knew he wanted to come to the States and play tennis and go to college. And so that fits right in with what you're saying. And um, so I always wonder, you know, is that an advantage for maybe the smaller D3 programs? Um, Because these kids, the international kids aren't really – doing a ton of research. Uh, I think for a lot of them, they're relying on consultants to guide them properly. And a lot of the times the consultants may not really know much about the school. So um, is there truth to, to the notion that the coaches develop pipelines into certain countries or um, areas of the world where they can recruit? Or is, is that just kind of one of those nasty rumors that keep circulating among us parents. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say it's a nasty rumor. I mean, like I said, I'll just use myself as an example. I had a pipeline through a recruiting service that had players out of Russia. And similar, I mean, for the most part, you're right in that they didn't necessarily know what they were getting into. I would say the only one thing that a lot of them do pay attention to was academic reputation. They wanted to go to the best school that they could go to. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but again, the problem is, is the academic standards are a little higher. So, you know, I could recruit, let's just say, you know, 10, just to give a round number, you know, one or two could probably have the academic standards to get in. Uh, and then, then they start to, to qualify for the academic scholarship that the school had to offer. But, you know, the, the, it's good to, when it comes to international recruiting, it's all about who you know, you know, because they're, they're taking a leap of faith uh, on you and your program. And like I said, once I, once I got one, I basically averaged one a year after that because they trusted me and they, you know, they, they were getting positive feedback from the student athlete that came. So I don't think it's necessarily a, a, a false uh, idea that, that these parents have when it comes to international recruiting. Uh, but at the same time, the, the, the students want the opportunity to go to a good college and want the opportunity to play uh, at the college level because internationally there's really not, particularly in Europe and in, in Asia, there's not, a college sports system. You either are set up to train as a junior and go pro, or you train as a junior and you're not good enough yet to go pro. So they don't have any options to continue to play, you know, the sport that they've played for 10 years uh, once they reach that level. So the pull of just being able to go to college, get a good education, and still play is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. What was your experience with your international players in terms of them staying in the States after college versus going back to their country of origin? And the reason I'm asking is um, I I keep trying to find some data on uh, alumni giving in tennis and that data is very hard to come by. But um, I would think especially for these smaller schools, the Division three schools, that they are very reliant on their alumni donations. And I think tennis as a whole has a high level of alumni giving, but I've, I've yet to find the data um, showing giving by country. So I'm just curious what your experience was. Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate enough. I've, I've like I said, I've had numerous uh, student-athletes that are international, and I've got, I think, about, eh, not quite half, but, you know, a third of them are still in the States, uh, and most of them are, are back in their home country. The, the problem that they run into, you know, after they graduate is visas. Uh, there's, there's a couple options. They can get sponsored by a company that they work for, which is very expensive and a very tough process to go through, uh, for the company, um, so if you know if they're lucky enough to be granted a visa for that, then they can uh, stay and work for however long the visa lasts. Um, otherwise, they basically have a year. Um, once they graduate, you get it. They get a year visa to 
if they want to stay, just to find a place to stay and, and, and someone to sponsor their visa. Um, the one that I, you know, off the top of my head is for, you know, he was, he's a tennis pro in New York City, and it's because he married a, a domestic uh, student as well. So he got his green card through marriage. Everybody else has basically gone back um, because of the visa process, and, and it, you know, it's difficult. It's, it's getting more difficult as, as things yeah. uh, occur. Uh, in terms of giving, obviously, that's the area I'm in now. Uh, culturally, internationally, philanthropy for non-U.S. students is not very good. Uh, and that's just, it's a cultural thing. It's not necessarily that they didn't ex- experience, you know. But internationally, a lot of the programs that are, are run are state-funded or, or country-funded. So they aren't thought, you know, they don't have the thought process that, oh, I need to give back for this program to continue to be successful. So it's a tough uh kind of road to go down internationally when it comes to philanthropy, just because it's not, they're not born with that thought that I need to give back. Um, so it's, it's a lot of education and, you know, it's a lot of schools struggle with it because the resources you have to throw at it to get a return are, are you know equal to, or even more than what you may get back in return. So it's a tough, tough thing in terms of philanthropy. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's, um, let's shift gears a little um, and talk a little bit more from the recruiting side of things. So uh, let's say, you know, I have a sophomore in high school and my child is, you know, planning to play college tennis. And, of course, all he knows about are the big schools that are always on TV and in the news. Well, always on TV. That's kind of a misnomer because tennis isn't <laughs> on TV that much. But um, – but those are the schools that he knows, and, and that's where he wants to focus his efforts. How do I, as a parent, get him to widen his his net? What are some tools that you, as a former coach and as a former player, would suggest to really convince these kids? And, and let's face it, a lot of it has to do with their junior coaches, too, who are guiding yep. them, right? Um so maybe you can share some ideas of, of how we can convince the coaches and the kids to give D3 a shot and, and what are some of the questions they need to ask to determine whether they're a better fit at D1, D2, or D3? Yeah, no, I, I think the, the first questions have to come with, from within. Uh, it's a matter of where geog- you know, geography-wise do they want to be, if, if, if that's a limiting factor, because that narrows the search down pretty significantly. Uh, and then what do they want? Do they want you know, a highly competitive tennis program? Do they want a small liberal arts school? Do they want a research university? So that, that's a little bit tougher to talk about because they're only sophomores in high schools and they probably don't know what uh, they want yet. Right. That's <laughs> what I was just getting ready to say. I mean, we're talking about 15-, 16-year-old kids who – you know, to them, college tennis is this panacea, this, you know, this Xanadu of beautiful, awesome, you know, you walk around campus and everybody knows who you are and treats you like a god. And the reality is, I don't care what division you go to, that is not the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's the wrong sport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it's like I said, I mean, it's a matter of, I think geography is, is the first key. Um, but if, if, you know, you don't have any narrowing down in terms of that, uh, there, there's, there's quite a few options across all levels, wherever you're at. You know, if you're on the West Coast, there's great Division One programs, obviously. There's also great Division Three programs. Same thing on the East Coast, same thing in the Midwest and South. Um, you know, depending on where they're at, you know, there's, there's a little bit less choices in, in some regards, but I think research. I mean, the, the biggest thing is just start your research now. You know, if you want the best of the best in, in terms of tennis, you've got to figure out, one, am I at the level or will I be at the level to be able to play for these? So and that's another big question is, is, is where, you know, do you want to be the stud at, at the school that you're going to go to or do you want to work your way, excuse me, work your way into the lineup? Mm-hmm. And that's a hard question. I mean, you know, a lot of coaches – struggle to give the honest answer because they don't want to, you know, dash any dreams, but at the same time, they don't want a kid to choose their school and then go four years and, you know, barely crack the lineup. So that's, that's a big part of it is, is, is sort of do your research in terms of figure out what level you're at, 
and, and kind of what you want to get out of a tennis experience. And, you know, I, I, one thing that we've started at the blog is, is a, a sort of a recruiting hub that it's, it's going to profile all these, these programs that we, we cover, and these profiles are going to basically say this is kind of the power, you know, UTR level, also the t- tennisrecruiting.net uh, level, where, you know, a typical starter is in the lineup. And, you know, the, the thing that I a lot of people would be surprised by is if they were to look at these profiles, you, we've got schools where the typical starter is in the top 100. And, you know, there's only so many of those to go around. So the fact that these kids are choosing these schools is a testament to how strong they are. So I think that's the first step is sort of being able to evaluate your own level of skill and then also what you want out of a school. If you think, you know, over the next two to four years, you're going to really dedicate yourself to the game and, and raise your level of play, then maybe some of the, you know, the top schools, top 10, top 20 division one schools are an option. But if you can say, Hey, I'm not quite there and I don't know if I'm going to get there. You can start to eliminate schools that you may not have a chance to play at. And, and let me just throw this out there. And this is something that I've said many, many times and, um, and others have said as well if you're not in the starting lineup your freshman year, the likelihood is that you're not ever going to be in the starting lineup. And and people need to understand that. Working your way into the lineup doesn't happen very often because the coaches are constantly trying to recruit number one and number two players. They're not out there looking for the number five and six player. They're looking for the new number one and two, and that means everybody gets pushed down, which means that yep. if you're number seven, eight, or nine, you know, the likelihood that you're going to crack the top six is very, very low. So I think it's right. important that, that people have a realistic understanding of how that works. And, and that, like I said, that's a difficult thing to get across. I mean, and I, one of the most common questions I would have, you know, if I, if I had a recruit on campus with uh, his or her parents, and they sit down, the, the question that always seemed to be asked is, how many players are you trying to bring in? And, and, you know, I think a lot of them were shocked when my answer every single time was, well, if I can bring in six players better than the six I have now, I'm going to do it. And, right. and they, that sort of takes them aback. Like, what do you mean? You know, my job is to out-recruit the talent I currently have. Uh, and, and, you know, not all coaches, I think, have are, are willing to say that. But, again, you know, same thing. I don't want a player to come play five or six as a freshman, and then as we got better, it's just not going to be able to play, and, and their tennis experience starts to dwindle. Uh, you know, it's hard. You know, being an individual, and tennis is a very ego-driven sport, that's hard on an ego to be able to handle it. Hey, I'm just not good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. It is hard. It's very hard. And, you know, the reality is, too, that for the majority of these kids, college tennis is the end of the line for them. And I, I say this over and over and over again, I feel like. But I think it's an important point to understand for parents and for players that it's okay if you don't get significantly better in college. If you're planning to be a doctor or an engineer or a taxi driver, like, you know, it doesn't, I mean, you're in college as an athlete to be a student first and an athlete second. And Division Three, I think, does a way better job of providing that type of balance than a Division One program, especially a top-level Division One program. Absolutely. I think, I think that's probably the biggest pull of Division Three is, is, you know, the, the percentage of people that go pro after college tennis is very low. You know, there, it, there's just – there's no way around that. It, it's – uh, even to make any money, you've got to be a top 100 player in the con- or in the world to be a professional and be successful. And even that is probably being generous. It's even higher than that, just with the travel expenses and all the other different costs. So, you know, you've got to start to think what's life after tennis going to be like. And and if you can accept that, you know, I'm going to have a great college career, but it's probably not going to be the way that I make a living once I'm out of here. Division three provides a ton of options, and you know the the success rate of graduates Division three law arts and research universities. You know, that, that's one thing that we've highlighted in in our profiles is we we give some examples of students that student athletes that were successful at Division three, but now are you know going on and being doctors and lawyers and you know 
hedge fund managers and all sorts of things that are doing these great things and even nonprofits, uh, you know, starting their own nonprofits, you know, they're doing these great things and sort of, you know, I don't want to sound cliche, but changing the world in a different way. And that's sort of those success stories are the, the, the case of why division three can be such a, a great option for, you know, top tennis players to not only thrive as athletes, but thrive as people and thrive as, you know, career driven individuals uh, after their career is over. Let's talk a little bit about the number of college tennis programs that disappear. And that mostly seems to be happening at the Division One level. And yep. why do you think the Division Three schools seem to be immune to these kinds of cuts? What is it that, that protects them? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, you know, I think that the, the cost to run a Division One program is significantly higher. Um, you know, Division Three continues to go closer to the Division One model in terms of travel and all that kind of stuff. But I think the cost to run a program is, is quite immense. Um, at Division Three, though, you know, the, the the model of Division Three athletics is participation, and, and so that is ingrained in the colleges as they know that athletics as a whole is going to, you know better the person, better the school uh, overall. Uh, and I think Division One, it's it's more of a we want to be the best athletes as we possibly can. You know, they're going to try to hammer home the student athlete as much as they can. But, uh, you know, I think that, that Division Three is a little bit more immune because a lot of them are, are – It's most schools aren't tuition-driven. So they, they've got, you know, endowments that they run the school. So financially a lot are, are in better shape. Um, and they're not so so focused on on just getting the best athletes. They're focused on getting the best students that can enhance their athletic program versus vice versa. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, you know, I, every time I hear about a program getting cut, I mean, my heart just breaks for the kids because, you know, they're what do they do at that? You know, especially the ones that are going into their final year. Um, yeah. And I yeah, think not, that's another. Trying, <laughs> right. And and I think that's another factor for families to consider when choosing the the college college slash college tennis program for their child is, you know, what's the viability of the program? And you know, we look at coaches and we look at records and you know, we look at travel schedule and all of those things, but I think you know, you got to look at, is this program going to be around all four years that my kid is eligible to play? And mm-hmm. it just seems to me, and, and I have no stats to back this up, <laughs> but it seems to me that the D3 programs are much more stable. Well, and, and I think uh, another way to compare is you look how long the coach has been there. And, 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 you know, a Division One, it, it seems, if, you know, very rarely are you going to find a, you know, an average Division One coach that's starting to go up the ranks in terms of just their resume stick around. So it, it's hard to – you put all your, your hopes and dreams into this one coach and that coach leaves, then you've got to impress another one and it starts to get a little bit more difficult. Whereas Division Three, you know, the, the, the top coaches, you know, are, are, have been there 20, 30, even 40 years because one, they believe in the school. You know, they, they they've made a life there, and they're they're hopeful to continue to impact students. Uh, uh, you know, they're they're not just looking to move on. Uh, you know, very rarely do you see you know big time jumps from program to program. Because you know, when I was still in coaching and and you know maybe looking at different jobs, they just don't open up because those are those are destination places. It's I want to be here. I want to continue to have an impact. So very similar in terms of. You know, you see programs that, that are getting dropped, but, you know, in Division Three, you rarely see one drop program and, and much movement in, in the coaching ranks. That's it. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's something I hadn't thought about um, in terms of the – sorry, my dog is uh, finding a <laughs> planet right. outside to talk to. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so – Let's let's jump back to your recruiting hub on the blog because that's a new aspect of your website and it's it's something that intrigues me um, how these 
PSAs, prospective student athletes, can use that recruiting hub to enhance their recruiting process. So let's dig a little deeper into that. You, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, but I really want to kind of delve in and maybe you can kind of create a, a case study of, let's say, a high school sophomore or junior who is starting their recruiting process. How would they step-by-step step utilize that tool to go through the process, um, reach out to coaches, schedule visits, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I think that the, the biggest thing that we're doing is as we you know continue to grow, we're working with coaches to make these profiles, but the, the kind of the, the generic statement that I've been telling people is, is this recruiting hub is basically the Princeton Review with tennis in mind. So these profiles not only you know, give you some stats in terms of uh, what type of player uh, or what level of player typically goes to the school, you know, how long the coach has been there, where it's at, that kind of stuff. But, you know, we provide a, a pretty lengthy explanation of this is what the school represents. This is kind of where uh, it's located, what they offer, um, what kind of facilities they have. And then we talk about the tennis. You know, traditionally this is a strong program. This is a program on the up and up. Uh, different things like that. So, you know, all they have to do is go to our, our webpage, which is division3tennis.com, and there's a little tab that says Recruiting Hub. And once they get to that point, um, they click on basically any school. Right now we're, we're slowly releasing profiles. I think we've only got eight out right now. But, you know, over the next couple of weeks, each region, and, and, and they're uh, divided up by regions, each region is going to have 15 to 20 schools that they can look at. And like I said, we these are, are – pretty subjective or excuse me objective uh views but at the same time we do offer our own opinion and we've got a lot of uh experience with with a lot of these schools and kind of just traditionally what they uh, you know what to expect uh, from these schools so you know if you were to click on you know i've got it up here in front of me so the first school that i can look at is, is emory you know emory is a, is a very well-known nationally school and some of these profiles they talk about how big the school is where they're ranked in the u.s news uh, and world report uh, their three-year average uh, ranking, their power six for UTR, and then we give some ratings of ourselves. So uh, the bloggers, there's nine of us, rank these schools based off our knowledge of the school, uh, based off academic reputation, the tennis program and tradition, how good they are developing players, uh, facilities, and then we give some examples of, of the, the recruiting. So, for example, I'll just use Emory that I have in front of me. We've got Jonathan Jennison was a four-star, was ranked number 80th in his class in 2015. You know, he plays number two for them. So it gives you an idea of, of what kind of player uh, currently is on their roster. And then we give some alums that are doing some pretty awesome things. So through those stats, you can get a better idea. But once you start reading the, the, the profile, it, it gives you even a, a more in-depth look at what uh, these teams and what these schools have to offer. And, and it really is sort of a – it's not a quick synopsis, but it gives you an idea of this is what I'm getting into if I were to look at this school. And, and I think that it's more than just, hey, they're a good tennis team and it's a good school. It's what you could expect if you're an athlete at this school. Right, right. And, I'm, I mean, I think it's really cool because you there's really nowhere to get that same in-depth information – at the D1 level other than talking to people. And, yep. uh, you know, I think this is a great jumping off point. Okay, so so my my high school sophomore or junior um, is is on your D3 recruiting hub. They've, they're, they've looked through some of these profiles. They've narrowed down their list to some choices. What's their next step? Yeah, I mean, I think at that that point, it's reach out to the coaches uh, and, and say, it, particularly if you're not in a geographic area, you know, recruiting for Division three is a little bit tougher in terms of budgets. It's, you know, it's hard for a, a student that, say, is in the West Coast, you know, if they're looking at a an East Coast school, you know, some of the top programs are on the East Coast, you know, for them to get out. So reach out to the, the, the coach, say, you know, introduce who you are, kind of give some some background to your tennis level and 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 that starts the relationship and once the coach is sort of you know on the hook you know if it's a, a player that they think is going to be strong for the school and then strong for uh, the uh, the tennis program you know the the process starts from there i think that the the, the tough part obviously is, is 
getting able to, to see them play. But, you know, I, I, I was at a, a very, you know, an above average institution in terms of tennis wise. You know, I, I drove multiple times, 13 hours to go see my top player, top recruits because I knew that's what it took to get them. So nothing really changes in terms of the recruiting process and, and the best, while these, these profiles are great and they're going to connect you with the people they need to, to connect you with, you've got to get on campus and that's where you're going to get the experience of seeing. So the earlier you can do that is either going to, you know, narrow your list down to include that school or it's going to eliminate schools that, you know, it isn't quite the right fit for me. But uh, I think that the earlier you start that, start that process, you know, the better your offer you're going to be. And in terms of visiting the school, are the rules the same for Division Three as they are for Division One in terms of unofficial and official visits? Uh, somewhat. Uh, I, I think that because you can go, you don't have to declare it as an official visit, I don't believe, unless that's changed. Um, but, you know, if a junior were to come on campus and want to talk to the tennis coach but is there to see the campus, that's not necessarily, you know, considered an official visit. It's just say you spend an hour to talk with the coach. Um, I think that the more official visits are ones where you, you were to go and, you know, stay the night, stay with a player, kind of observe practice, that kind of thing. So, you know, there's a lot of similar rules in terms of, you know, you can't uh, participate in practice and that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, for the most part, you know, any visit you go is, is, is to see the school and not necessarily to, to, to be a part of the, the tennis program. Got it. But there are official visits in Division Three, or no? I mean, can, can a school pay for a student to come for 48 hours and stay on campus and do all those things? I, there are, yeah. I, I know that when I was a coach, we would we would have, for example, there was a couple uh, Pacific Northwest um, students that were interested, and and the school would pay. It wouldn't come out of the the, the athletic budget, but the school would pay because they were top school students. The the school, the admissions department would pay for them to fly out and and see uh, the school. So so yes, there there are more official in terms of that, um, and they're able to do that. And is there a limit on the number of schools you can do that with? I, you know, in Division One, I don't believe five so. school limit. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not. I'm not positive on that, but I don't believe so. Okay, um, I'll, I'll look that up and and hopefully try to include that in the show notes for those of you listening right. that might have that same question. Because um, the the rules change so often with the NCAA, and and you know, my area where I'm the most well-versed, and I am not by any means well-versed, but the most well-versed is Division One, and just because that's where my kid was looking. And uh, even since he was going through the recruiting process, the rules have changed. And, you know, with social media, things are so complicated now <laughs> with the contact yeah, you're not and kidding. all that. I'm glad I don't have to deal with that anymore, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Seriously. So, okay, so so – um, the the PSA has has read the profiles on on your recruiting hub. They have reached out to coaches, um, and let's say you know they've got three coaches interested. Um, hopefully, at that point, maybe they're sending some video footage to the coaches, um, or or sending their tournament schedule to the coaches, so the coaches can actually get a feel for what type of player they they really are. And and then in terms of making that final decision, in Division One, a lot of times the coach makes the offer to the kid, the kid accepts the offer, and then goes through the academic application process and has to be accepted academically into the school. Mm-hmm. But depending on the situation, the coaches a lot of times have a lot of pull with that and can say to academics, you know, or to admissions, excuse me, um, you know, we need to push this kid's application through. Yep. In Division three, how does that work? Not like that. <laughs> uh, I, when, when a student sends, so let's just say sophomore, junior, sends the, the tennis resume, they should also send the academic resume because the coach from day one is going to see that and know, you know this kid academically is going to be successful and going to get accepted. So you know, a good coach will, would be able to know that you know, a certain SAT score or a certain uh, you know, academic profile 
isn't going to be able to get in. And, and, you know, very, very few coaches have any sort of say, you know, in terms of, of trying to get push a kid through. You know, borderline kids don't get in. It's just the way it is. It, it's, it's, these schools are academically driven. And while athletics play a role in, you know, extracurriculars and sort of add to their uh, profile in that sense, you know, if you if you were to compare a student who is a you know a concert pianist versus a you know a top level tennis player, they're going to get similar point system in the admissions process because they both have you know successful extracurricular activities. But in terms of any pull that the the sport has for the uh, the process, the admissions process, it's zero. You know that that's the Division three model is is athletics. You know, there is no additional pull. So basically it, it's, it comes down to do they have the, the right academic profile for the school? And I like to the earlier you know that, the better better off you are. You know, it, it's a, co- a good coach would be dumb to go through the entire process not knowing if this, you know, student athlete is going to get accepted. Hmm, that's really interesting. And that's that's a Big difference, and and I yes. I hope the parents listening are hearing that. <laughs> I mean, that's a very big difference, and I think it's really important that um, you know if if you are deciding to explore Division three schools, that you make sure that your student athlete has the necessary grades and test scores. Um, yep. You know, and do what you can to to help them. You know, that's that's an area that, you know, you can put the work in and make big improvements. And Absolutely. So, you know, if, if you know early enough in their high school career that Division three is, is a viable option for them, then you can really maximize their opportunities there um, through, you know, additional counseling or tutoring or, or what have you to, to boost those scores. Yeah, absolutely. So another area that I I would like to kind of touch on, and we're coming to the end of our hour, but um, one uh, one other thing that really kind of sets D3 apart is in the case of a student athlete who either gets injured and can't play anymore or just simply decides they want to not play anymore for whatever reason they want to pursue their academics or whatever it is at the division one level. Once you're done with tennis, that scholarship may or may not still be around for you. If you're on an uh, an athletic scholarship depends on the circumstances. And if you quit playing, obviously, um, you know, just by choice that that athletic scholarship definitely is going to go away. At Division Three, because you're not on an athletic scholarship, it's a lot of times way more financially viable to stay at a school even without the tennis. Absolutely. It's a lot of times those scholarships that they get, most of are academically focused. So as long as they're in academic good standing. So some, some will have, you've got to maintain a, you know, a 2.5 or a 3.0 to continue the scholarship. So the the uh, motivation is I, I've got to be a good student and, and you know I've got to earn so very similar to tennis in terms of or excuse me Division One is they've got to earn their keep in terms of I got to continue playing tennis well on the Division three levels I got to continue being a good student and in good standing to continue to to have that so you know the the opportunity is is definitely the students first and the the scholarships are are arranged around that. Right. And, and I, again, I think this is a really important point for parents to understand because the reality is that a lot of kids who go into college expecting to play all four years don't wind up doing that, um, whether it's because, again, they get hurt or because they're deciding to pursue an academic endeavor that requires too much time for them to continue their tennis schedule. I mean, there are a lot of reasons that that happens, but if you look at the number of tennis players who stay on the team all four years, I think, you know, the, the numbers 
um, will support what I'm saying here. And, and I think that's an important consideration for a family, especially if finances are a big part of the equation. Absolutely. And I think the, the one thing you mentioned it briefly was, you know, if you, if you go into, if you're a highly competitive division one tennis player and you're going to, you know, a top five, top 10 school and you want to be a doctor, your life is going to be determined for the next four years. You're going to have specific practice times. You're going to have specific lab times. There is no leeway one way or the other. And, and a lot of times those things are going to compete against one another, uh, rightfully or wrongfully, how, you know, however you want to look, uh, look at it. Whereas, you know, a Division three, if, if you were to go to a, a school and decide that, hey, one, you can do both. It's, it's, it's a lot, you know, the time commitment is significantly less, um, particularly there's off-seasons. You know, you can't practice under Division one's off-seasons. There's still significant practice. Division three, there is not. Um, whereas you can be able to do both of your goals academically and athletically and be successful in both still going to be you know difficult in a lot of ways uh, and you've got to be good but i think that the, the two things don't compete uh, against one another in division three whereas in division one they can't just with travel schedules practice schedules match schedules and different things like that for sure and you know i've written about this before but i mean you know i travel to these college tennis matches and and the kids are you know on their laptops <laughs> doing work in between their matches i mean it is a very tough life, and at the Division One level, your day-to-day life year-round is governed by your tennis coach. And, yep. um, you know, you, you pick classes based on practice times, um, and you miss a lot of classes based on the travel schedule. And it's, it's a big challenge, and it takes a, a certain type of <laughs> of student athlete to be able to manage that and yeah. and I think you know one other bit of this that I just want to touch on quickly before we we wind up here is that it's it's not a bad thing to choose division 2 or 3 it's not it doesn't mean you're less of a player or um you know that that it's that you're compromising because you're not going division one. And I, I think a lot of us get caught up in that mindset that, you know, division one is superior. And right. after going through it a couple years, um, you know, in our family, I, I don't think it's superior. It's just different. Yeah, I, I think you, you touched on it a little bit, uh, or excuse me, I touched on it a little bit with the, the level of Division three is, is significantly higher. I mean, yes, that mindset is probably true if you're talking about football, baseball, basketball. That mindset is not true in Division three tennis just because the level is pretty darn good. So you've got to get out of the mindset of, you know, I've got to get a Division one scholarship because I'm going to be – you know, the premier player, whereas because tennis is a little different, Division three tennis, the level is really, really good. I mean, in the last two years, we've had two or three top 50 recruits commit to Division three tennis, and it's because they want a superior education, compete for a national title, both as an individual and as a team, and an overall experience as a student-athlete and not just an athlete. Right, right. Well, Adam, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And to my listeners, I, I, please check out uh, Adam's website. It's division3tennis.com, and that website will be in the show notes. So check that out. Check out the Recruiting Hub. And, Adam, if, if my listeners have questions about Division Three, whether it's from a recruiting standpoint or just, um, you know, wanting more details about what it means to play at the D3 level. Is, is it okay if they contact you? And if so, how do they do that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have no problem. Like I said, I, I'm not tied to uh, to any school, so I'll try to be as unbiased as possible. Uh, but uh, they can either shoot me uh, an email or, you know, find me on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is, is D3 Central, 3 with the number uh, Central Tennis at uh, – on Twitter. And then uh, you can just email my personal email. I don't mind that. It's AC 
and then my last name, V-A-N-Z-E-E, at Gmail. So I'll, I'll give you that so you can include in the notes as well. And like I said, I, I've, I'm a firm believer in Division Three, you know, and particularly, the, obviously, the tennis experience. But uh, I think that it shapes a lot of people, and, and they will forever hold that, you know, in their careers, in their lives, and, and, and it really, uh, you know, transforms uh, the person that they become. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Adam Van Zee, for joining us this week on the Parenting Aces podcast. And to my listeners, thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week on Parenting Aces. Don't miss a thing on Parenting Aces. Be sure to sign up for our free e-newsletter so you're among the first to know when a new article is posted. Simply go to ParentingAces.com and enter your email address, then click subscribe in the subscribe for updates box on the right side of the page. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, buy a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, visit us online at ParentingAces.com. As always, a huge thank you to our sponsor, TennisBalls.com.